So today we've come to the last sermon in the sermon series, the last phrase in John 1.14. Last Sunday in the year, last day of the year. So we're going to wrap it up today. And um, I think it's been a wonderful series as we focused on one particular verse, the great incarnation verse in the Bible, the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us and we have beheld his glory, glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So today we focus on full of grace and truth. We've learned that Jesus is the word, the logos, that he became flesh, we call that incarnation and lived among us relationship with us, that he shares God's glory. He's the unique, only son from the Father. And today we want to think about what does it mean that he's full of grace and truth. At the end of the gospel, John says, this gospel, he calls his gospel a book of signs. He says these signs are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah And that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. That's the end game for John. He wants you, his readers, to have the life that God the Father shared with God the Son, that God the Son brings. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. So John wants you to experience in that life. It comes through the word, and so he's introducing and describing who is this word, and what's he all about, and what's he like, and how can we have life? So let's pray, and then we'll read our text. Gracious God, we thank you for this day, for this worship service, this chance to have fellowship, to say that your name is holy, to listen to your word, to be nudged by your spirit, and to reflect your life and love among one another here and even to the world out there. Lord, help us in that endeavor. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're looking at verse 14 and verses 16 and 17. It's in the bulletin. But I'm going to read the whole prologue. John wrote a prologue, verses 1 to 18, introduces the gospel. Since we're going to say goodbye to this after today, I want you to hear the whole thing, and then we'll zoom in. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, through the Word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, in the Word, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some translations say the darkness has not comprehended it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet... To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
Here's our verse. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, this is John the Baptist, testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last May, I was in northern Thailand for a few weeks, and in northern Thailand, Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai, there are lots of missionaries and lots of NGOs, non-governmental organizations, helping girls and women being trafficked, helping people in orphanages, doing all kinds of good uh, development work, and many are Christian. So there are a lot of missionaries in northern Thailand, and of course, Thailand's Buddhist, so there are lots of Buddhist monks. And one day, a Christian missionary met a Buddhist monk at a coffee shop. Chiang Mai is full of coffee shops. And they started talking, and the monk said to the missionary, you know, I I don't know much about your religion. Could you tell me something about your religion? The missionary was kind of in a hurry, and so he reached into his briefcase and pulled out a New Testament, handed the monk the New Testament, and said, why why don't you read, read the Gospel of John? Here it is, right here, this book right here. Read that, and then we'll get back together and talk. They parted ways and didn't see each other for almost a month back in the same coffee shop. The missionary said to the monk, that book I gave you, did, did you have a chance to read it? And he said, well, I tried, but I didn't get very far. Well, why not? How, how far did you get? Well, I got stuck on the first verse. Really? What, what happened? What, what, why? He said, well, I, I read that first ber- verse in the beginning. The word was with God. And I thought, you have a strange religion. I would have thought in the beginning there was silence. You must have a noisy God. In the beginning was the word. We do have a noisy God, don't we? God speaks. God reveals himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he do that? Let there be light, God spoke. And the psalmist says he created the heavens and the earth by his word. So in Judaism and in Christianity, we believe that God is the God of revelation, that he speaks forth, he reveals himself. And when you speak forth, there has to be an audience. So God doesn't just speak into the heavens. He speaks to his creation. He speaks to men and women created in his image because he desires to have relationship with them. So God, the speaking God, reveals himself in order that he can be in covenant relationship with men and women and boys and girls. That notion of the covenant is kind of in the background here in John's prologue, as are Old Testament themes. You can hardly read the beginning of John's gospel without thinking of the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning. A first century reader would have absolutely comprehended that. He's saying something about creation. 
In Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created. In John's gospel, in the beginning, the word was with God before creation. Because the word is then the agent of creation. Nothing was made that was not made through him. So John kind of takes us a step back before the beginning of Genesis to the beginning of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in relationship, in communion before there was speech and creation. So Jesus is this word from God, reminded of the opening of the book of Hebrews. You remember how that begins? In many and various ways, God has spoken of old by the prophets, but in these latter days, he has spoken to us by his son, who is the exact representation of the divine. God spoke through prophets, Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Now he's speaking through his son. And John tells us now that this son, this word become flesh, is full of grace and truth. Now the clue to understanding that phrase, I think, comes from the Old Testament. Grace is pretty straightforward. Old Testament, New Testament. In the New Testament, it's charis. So we get our word charity. The word truth in the New Testament, aletheia, often means doctrine or right belief or orthodoxy. But here, it means something different. And here's the clue. Exodus 34, verse 6. I sometimes call this the signature of God. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, grace and truth steadfast love and faithfulness. But there we have Hebrew words in the Old Testament instead of Greek. The Hebrew words for grace and truth are hesed and emet. Hesed, loving kindness, and emet, not so much truth, but faithfulness. It's hard to translate the word hesed. It's too big a word in Hebrew for a single English word. It means love and grace and forgiveness and slow to anger, and steadfastness of love. I like to call it loving kindness. And emet, usually translated truth, but our Western notion of truth maybe gets in the way because that reduces truth to a set of truths or a set of propositions or scientific precision. You will know the truth and it will set you free. Walk in the truth set of true statements. But here, when you turn to the word emmet in the Old Testament, it means God is faithful. God is reliable. God is the one that's true to his word, the one who keeps his promises. So what is John saying? He's saying this Jesus, the word made flesh, is full of the same quality, grace and truth, has said in emmet, that is attributed to God the Father in the book of Exodus and in Psalm 103 and in a couple other places in the Old Testament. It's the signature of God. This is what God is like. You want to know what God is like? He's full of hesed and emmet, loving kindness and faithfulness. So what is hesed really? What kind of love is it that God offers to us in Jesus Christ? Well, it's unmotivated love. It's unprovoked love. It's spontaneous love. That means that God loves you not for anything in you, 
but for what is in him. It's God's nature to love. He doesn't love you because you're lovable. He doesn't love you because you have great potential. He doesn't love you because you're already good and kind. Am I offending you yet? He loves you in spite of who you are. That's the Old Testament and New Testament notion of God, that God is not motivated to love certain people. He loves all people because of his great storehouse of love. You know, human love is, is sometimes different. We are motivated by what attracts us, or we're attracted to people who will love us back, or we're inclined to love people that were like us, who hold our same political views, our same theological views, who are our neighbors, not people over there on the other side of town or the other side of the world. We have motivated love. But God's love is of a different quality. He loves because of the love reservoir in himself. Sometimes uh, we love our children and our grandchildren not just because we think they're cute, but because they're our children and our grandchildren. And in our eyes, they become cute because we have this great love that we want to bestow upon them. This kind of love, this hesed, has the capacity to confer love on those that God shows love to, love that transforms, love that improves us. Years ago, I met uh, a missionary in China, a doctor, and he and his wife, after years of not being able to have kids, were visiting an orphanage and praying about adopting a child, and they found a child, a four- or five-year-old, in the corner of a room, all huddled up in a fetal position, facing the corner of the room, and something stirred in their spirit that this is the one. And they said to the orphanage director, we'd like to adopt her and she said no no she she doesn't relate to people she doesn't talk to people you don't you don't want her but they persisted and said no that's the child for us and they took her home and they began to care for her and they loved her and she began to respond and she began to speak and she began to go to school and today she's finished college and she's married and she has children and oh her name is Grace Love showered upon her, transformed her, gave her a chance, gave her a new life. Loving someone can confer love upon that person and transform him or her. Paul underscores this idea that God's love comes to the undeserving. He says in Romans 5, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's hesed. And what about emet? This word I'm calling faithfulness instead of truth. God's love is reliable, will not end, he will keep his promises. He will love us with his covenant love right to the end. Paul Brand was a missionary doctor in India for years and years in the 50s and 60s, once spoke here. And when he got back from being a missionary, he was a, a hand surgeon that operated on leprosy patients. 
And he wrote a book with Philip Yancey called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, comparing the human body and all its systems to the body of Christ. And then he wrote a second book called In His Image. And in the first one, he wrote several chapters about bones. And he said the skeletal system, though we kind of ignore it because it's hidden away, is pretty important. He said, you know, you're born with 305 bones, and they're soft so the baby can enter life through the birth canal. And then the bones fuse together, and 305 become 206, and they take on hardness, and your skeleton becomes rigid and durable to support you, light enough so you can move, strong enough to support your weight. It's amazing, isn't it, how God has designed the human body to work, especially when you see an athlete in his or her prime and how all the muscles and the bones are working together. Paul Brand says the one quintessential element that makes a bone work is its hardness. It's tissue, but it's hard tissue. And those of you that have known people with osteoporosis know that one of the things you fear about your bones is that your bones will go soft and no longer support you. My mother fell this past July, and I was in Pennsylvania, and I rushed to see her. And I was on the phone with my wife, and I said, I can't quite figure out if she tripped or what. And Pam said, you know, sometimes older people have osteoporosis, and the bone breaks first, and then somebody falls because there isn't that hardness, that durability. Now, what does that have to do in the body of Christ? Paul Brand says that this, this durability, this reliability is what we see in God when he exercises his grace to us and keeps his promises. Like bones in the human body, God's promises are reliable. They're durable. They last. They will not falter. Wendell Berry reminds us that faithfulness has to do with making and keeping promises. Promises between spouses, promises to children, promises to friends, promises when we join a church. Wendell Berry says making a promise binds one to someone else's future. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He binds himself to our future as our covenant Lord. And what about us? Fear, awe, and love bind us not to selfish aims, but to one another. Now, when you put hesed and emet together, you get grace and faithfulness. You get God's enduring love. God will love you through thick and thin, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how far you stray, no matter how much you doubt, God's love is not going away. He's always there. I remember when I was a young minister here and I was working with a colleague, and he used to tell this story. He said, picture a couple going down Forest Avenue here. And it's an older couple, my age, we'll make it my age. <laughs> and they're in their car, and he's driving. And she's all the way over on the other side of the car. You know, cars have bucket seats. This was a bench seat. And all of a sudden, a car sped by them, University of Richmond on the decal. And you couldn't tell if it was one person or two people driving. She was all over him. And she said to her husband, she said, look at that. Do you remember when we were like that? 
He said, yeah. Guess who moved? <laughs> God never moves. We move, we doubt, we wonder. He loves you to the end with Hesed and Emmet. Well, let's look at this one other verse here. This verse 16, out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What is that a picture of? I sometimes picture this as the UPS truck has driven up to my front door and instead of one delivery man bringing me one package, there are five guys and they make a little human chain and they empty the whole truck into my house. Package after package after package. That's what I see in this passage. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace, in place of grace, in place of grace. God has all kinds of graces for us. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. You notice the word all in that text? Out of his fullness we have all received grace. Do you believe that? Do you think all of us who are in Christ have received grace after grace? Sometimes we don't look very blessed, do we? Sometimes we look discouraged and downtrodden and you wonder, is that person blessed? Is there something blocking the blessings? Are the blessings there but they don't see blessing in that way? Not everybody looks healthy and prosperous and flourishing. Is it a matter of faith that enables us to receive blessings? Or maybe it means that Jesus Christ in his storehouse of blessings has a kind of grace for every situation. One grace for our youth, another for our days of aging, one grace for prosperity, another for adversity, one grace for the church in persecution, one grace for the church that is free, one grace for discouragement, another one for hope, one grace for full speed ahead, and another one slow down their bumps and turns ahead. One grace when we're sure about things, one grace when there seems to be nothing that's certain. After World War II, when there were so many bombs that fell on England, they discovered that 95 different flowers emerged after the bombs had churned up the earth and seeds began to take root. Who would have thought it? Sometimes in the trials, there are new graces that emerge. In our world today, there's a pressure to try to do our best and to get ahead and to do self-reliance. Remember that Ralph Waldo's Emerson's essay called Self-Reliance. But that's not what you find in John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, blessings are always gifts. They're never merit badges. They only come from God's grace. There's no way to earn God's grace or deserve it. There's no way you can bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of strawberries or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace, and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Being loved by someone or loving someone is grace. And sometimes to receive this grace, we have to see ourselves as in need of it. Even see yourself as helpless. I don't know if you ever see yourself that way, that there's a situation in which you just cannot help yourself you need God's grace to come and join you. 
Seeing Carolyn Rennie here today reminds me, years ago we were in Tanzania. In 1988, we took a team of 12 people to build a church in western Tanzania. And we flew to Kenya, and then we flew on little planes, little missionary aviation fellowship planes, all the way across Kenya into Tanzania. And Carolyn and I and two or three others were in the first plane, and we were there, and we waited for the other planes to come and for someone to bring them in a car. And so we were looking at the construction site, and one of the guys on our team all of a sudden fell down. It looked like he was having a seizure. And I never used to do a mission trip without taking a nurse. Carolyn was the nurse. Carolyn looked up to me and said, I don't know if you remember this. She said, you better pray. <laughs> I thought, well, I didn't bring enough medical <laughs> expertise this time. And so I prayed, and an African gentleman named Senny saw the situation and called a car over, and Senny and Carolyn and this young man got in the car, and they were gone. I didn't know where they were going. I didn't know if this was helpful or not, but we prayed. And it turned out the young man was dehydrated, had been on a plane for a long time without drinking, and he was fine. There was a missionary doctor nearby, and he gave him iced tea. But in that moment... I felt helpless, and I think you did too. And the Lord provided what we needed, a friend, a car, a missionary doctor, a right diagnosis, and a treatment. That doesn't always work that smoothly, but God is always that close at hand, always ready to bless us. And sometimes it's okay to be helpless and say, Lord, I just need your help. Visit me with your grace and with your blessings. Are you here today and you think grace is speaking to you or pursuing you? You've never said yes to Jesus Christ, the word become flesh. I like the way Corey, our lead pastor, puts it sometimes. He says, I don't know why all of you are here today. I don't know if you came willingly or reluctantly or by yourself or with a friend or you're out of town or you're here. But whyever, or for whatever reason you're here, you're not here by accident. I, I believe that. I believe that God gathers people and he's part of the purpose for how you live your life and make your decisions. And so if you're here today and Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, full of grace and truth, has a, you haven't received him, don't resist him. If there's a nudge, if there's a whisper, if there's a feeling, pay attention to those. And if you're a long-time Christian, and here you are at the end of the year, and you're thinking, well, what's, what's next? Remember that God gives us the opportunity to reflect who he is. Like the moon, the sun shines, full of grace and truth. The moon reflects that light to others. Christ shines upon us, full of hesed and emmet, and you and I get to reflect that to others. And that love changes things transforms people. So I invite you today to listen to the Spirit, to say yes to Jesus, to give thanks to God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you're noisy, and that you have lots to say to us. Forgive us when we close our ears and do not listen. Would you speak to us right now? Not just to ears, but to hearts. 
maybe we need a word of reassurance today that we're in the right place and we're on the right track and we just need that reassurance. Maybe we need a change of direction. Maybe we need to change our mind and turn around and go in a, a new direction. Maybe there's somebody that needs a word or expression of kindness from us. Would you put that person on our hearts? Maybe we need that kindness. Would you bring someone to us? Lord, you're the, you're the great choreographer. You're the orchestrator. Holy Spirit, you, you connect people and you make things happen. So we're asking you, Lord, we're, we're helpless without your help. And so come and have your way with us. We're about ready to say goodbye to 2017. The new year is just around the corner. And we want to go into that year, oh Lord, listening for your voice and being sensitive to your spirit. Help us to listen, Lord, that we might taste your life and your light in your love. For we pray in the name of Jesus, the Christ. Amen.